0: Everybody turn your Bibles to Psalms, or Psalm 145, verse 13. And some, it's funny because it's Psalm, but I always say Psalms. Both are correct, I guess, because there's multiple Psalm. It makes them Psalms. <laughs> anyway, um, Okay, um, tough crowd. Anyway, Psalm one forty five thirteen. It says, "Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom." Say that with me. It's a. Who was that? Oh, that's hilarious. your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations I think this is very important because every generation every new generation or every new generation gets picked on by the previous generation for being the generation that's going to mess it all up right? I mean, we were made fun of, the new, the new generation now is made fun of because they're different. But it says, it gives us a promise that, that God's dominion endures through all generations. And um, I think it's important because we put too much faith on us. We put too much trust in us, and I understand we have a role to play. But God's dominion, he reigns. And his kingdom endures, it is everlasting. It is forever. So if this, let me ask you this question. And today, uh, the last several weeks, we were talking about, um, is this this loud or is it just my ears because I'm stopped up? Is that loud? Is it good? Okay. Okay, good. Um, So the, um, what was I going to say? Oh, yes. So we're talking about the core values in the church. And the first core value was that we would be submitted and we would be committed. The second core value was that we would be rooted and we would fr- be fruited. There's an under and there's an over. There's an intimate engagement with the Lord and an outward display of what, of what our intimate uh, pursuit of Him was. And then the next core value is that we would be passionate and praising. Now, whenever we hear the word passion, so today I'm going to talk about passion, but whenever we would hear the word passion, there's two things that I think of is that there's passion of the flesh. We have some ideas of what those would be. I'm not talking about passion fruit. I'm just saying there are passions of the flesh. And then there's passions of the spirit. One is very immediate and it is very temporal. And one is eternal. One thinks about my immediate gratification and the other one thinks about an eternal gratification. Does this make sense? One thinks about me, and one thinks beyond me. Jesus actually, um, it says that when Jesus was beat with a whip until his entrails basically were hanging outside of his body, they took a hammer and they slammed thorns down into his head. They actually ripped chunks of his beard off of his face. The only thing he was clothed with when they nailed him to the cross was blood. That seemed like torture to me. But God called it passion. Literally, it was called the passion of the Christ. Because it's not thinking of the immediate gratification of a life. But it's thinking about the eternal benefit for all others that are to follow. The kingdom, the kingdom is what? It's everlasting. Meaning that if we're going to be kingdom people, we have to think beyond ourself. So every choice we make in our life, we're considering how it might impact our children. Are you with me? (laughs) You're like, man, I just need to get my retirement fund up so I can retire a millionaire. Listen, and I get it. Like I need to get my retirement fund up so I can retire a ten millionaire. (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, like, I'm broke. And so I need to consider these things, but we don't even need to just consider it so that we can retire well. We need to consider that we might leave our children well. Like, that's what kingdom people do. See, anybody can get theirs, have theirs, want theirs. But kingdom people think beyond themselves. They are multi-generational. You know know what kingdom people do? They think like God. Because God was the God of Abraham. And the other ones can just stick it in their ear. He was the God of Abraham. And you hear me say it all the time, Isaac and Jacob. Because God, because his kingdom is multi-generational. So when, we, when we, we, want, we want to call ourselves, a lot of us here today, because we talk so much about the kingdom, about being, lead, being led by the Holy Spirit. We, we talk so much about the kingdom in our lives that we want to be kingdom people. Well, if you want to be kingdom people, you have to think beyond yourself. When I planted this church, I was only thinking about how it might affect my purpose, my destiny, what God had called me to do. But I didn't understand that what God had called me to do was to outlive me. And so let me tell you, when you begin to think beyond yourself, it reshapes why you do what you do and how you do what you do. Are you with me today? It it really does reshape it. So what if we began to consider not just the passions of the temporal, not just the immediate passions of the flesh, but what if we began to consider in all the ways of our life the passion of the Spirit? Meaning that we would be, we would consider what God wants us to do, how He wants us to, to direct our lives, and those things. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. We need to think beyond ourselves. And your dominion endures through all generations. And um and now, 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 so some of us are like, well, thank goodness, because I can totally jack up. I can totally mess up. I can totally mess this whole thing up, live for myself, and his dominion will reign. Let me tell you how his dominion lasts through all generation. When kingdom people rise up and actually walk with dominion. God, listen, and this is where the phrase God is in control is dangerous because we go, well, his dominion will last for all generations if you walk in dominion. In the beginning, he put Adam and Eve here and he said, you will reign and walk with dominion. That's your role. So the way that it lasts to all, his God's dominion lasts to all generations here on earth. Even God, to to be able to have dominion, to sow one seed that he might get many sons, God had to come down in human flesh because the way you reign here is through flesh by the spirit. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't do it illegally, meaning that, he, that, that the same plan he established in the beginning, he obeyed his own law he made. So the way that we have dominion to all generation is we begin to take dominion and we begin to think beyond ourselves. That's what dominion is. The, the way they had dominion, they had dominion over the birds of the, birds of the air. Sorry, <laughs> they're not down there. Uh, birds of the air and the fish of the sea. They would have dominion over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. How did they, meaning that they thought beyond themselves. It it didn't say, God never told them, and and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know that I'm right about this. I don't think God ever told them, have dominion over yourself. That's not what he said. He said, have dominion over this and that. It was everything outside of them to have dominion over. And, the, and he's, saying, he's saying, there will be some people that will walk in a, such a kingdom lifestyle that his dominion will reign through all generations. Can I ask you a question? Will you be one of the people that bring dominion to your, to your generation? And, to, and, and uh, listen, are we raising up children... Not just fathers, but you, you can be here today, be a man, but not have a son, but you can still raise up spiritual children. That's why, I, listen, I got to say this, okay? This is going to be inappropriate, but I, I'm known for it, right? I went to New York when I was a teenager, and we went to Brooklyn Tabernacle. Our choir sang for Brooklyn Tabernacle. <laughs> That's funny. Um, but we did, and and then... After the first song, the Brooklyn Tabernacle came out and they mixed with all our teen choir and then we sang with Brooklyn Tabernacle. That was an experience of a lifetime, let me just tell you. I was talking about it last night. It was just an experience of a lifetime. If you don't know who Brooklyn Tabernacle is, look it up. Jim Sabala and all that. Um, It's pretty crazy, but it's in New York City. Then The next day, we went to another church uh, to sing. Our choir was singing at this other church and, and it was a Jamaican church. Jamaican pastors, Jamaican people. And it was... It was fun, right? It was fun. It, like, that worship was legit. <laughs> like, it was crazy. And then the pastor gets up. And I can't speak Jamaican. I, I end up speaking Indian when I try to do Jamaican. But, um, uh, and, and so the pastor gets up and he goes, he goes, all of the fathers in here to stand up. And so the fathers begin to stand up. And, of course, all the teenagers were sitting down. The young men were sitting down. And he said, no, all the fathers stand up. And we're like, I'm not a father yet. And then he was looking around at us and he goes, if you have the equipment to be a father, please stand up. And so we stood up and, and he began to talk about the importance of men raising up spiritual sons. And regardless of what age you are, you can impact young people younger than you. And you can raise up spiritual sons regardless of your age. That was impactful for me. At a young age, I began to understand the importance of considering other generations and my role to impact and disciple their lives. Men who have children, God has blessed you with them right in your home. Are you raising them up to be spiritual men of God and women of God? Men in here that don't have children, I want you to know, You need to be looking for somebody to raise up. Maybe that's a young man. Maybe that's, maybe that's. I don't know. I don't know who it is. I don't know who God's put in your path. But God has called you to raise up some young men to be spiritual sons. Or who are you investing in? Now, all of us are wanting to want to be invested in. And some of us think, well, I haven't been invested in long enough to invest in someone else. I disagree. I believe we all have something to contribute to somebody. There is something that you can contribute that your pastor cannot contribute. This is very important. I had not even got to my notes yet. We're doomed because it's like seven pages. And I'm going to end on time. All right? We'll just stop, and we'll, I'll just do passion next week too. But this is important. We need to be investing and raising the next generation up to know who he is. I believe God has a destiny for you that should last longer than just when you're gone and dead and in the grave. Your destiny should impact other people. It is not good enough for God to impact you. He wants to impact the generation after us. I believe this. I believe you can't go where God wants you if you do not know where you're going. We're not only just going to heaven, there is something else God wants us to do. See, a lot of Christians get saved and all they want to do is go to heaven, but God has an army that, not just, that is not just going to heaven, but before they go to heaven, they are going to cover the earth with the glory of the Lord. And there is no enemy strong enough to stand before the God's army. And I believe that all believers in Christ... Have been called to join that army. <laughs> your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. God's kingdom's everlasting and his authority is through all generations. I don't care how ungodly the world seems, I don't care how bad the government is, I don't care how bad the economy seems, I don't care what your What your pocketbook says, God's authority is eternal. God is not worried about the government. God is not worried about the economy. God is not worried about your finances. God is not worried about your emotional state. God wants you to understand it's under control if you're in his kingdom. And the only people who should be worried is the people who are in the kingdom of the enemy. Because he doesn't have the answer. God's kingdom is not in trouble, contrary to what we think and what we read on Facebook. God's kingdom's already won. He's just trying to get us to an understanding that His kingdom is reigning, will reign, and will forever reign. Some of you today, listen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I've never been able to say his name. <laughs> Abednego. Yep, that. What happened to them? They were told to worship and bow down to a false god. They said no. And they were thrown in the fire. Listen. The victory is not that they came out of the fire. The victory is that they were willing to go into it. (laughs) We have Christians today that can't walk in dominion over the things that would normally burn most people, hurt most people. We can't live lives that seem like we live with dominion because we refuse to go into any fire, any trouble, We try to pray ourselves out of all trouble instead of going into the trouble and making the trouble bow down at the feet of Jesus. We want to be a people who say that we're kingdom people and say that we want to reign and say that we want to have dominion, but we refute dominion. The sheer fact of dominion means there will be resistance in your face. It's amazing because we come and we shout. And I mean, I can get you excited in here today. We shout and we praise the Lord and we rejoice and we uh, about God wants to use us, but we don't want to be used. Because if it means trouble, then I'm out. But how can we walk with dominion if we never have a problem? The victory was not that they came out, it was that they went in. And some of us have got to begin to go into the highways and the byways, into the troubles, into the issues, into the places that nobody else will go so that we can bring light where there is darkness. The sheer fact that he calls you light means that he wants you to go into some darkness. God, if you love me, you would never never put me in a situation like that. Yeah, 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 he would. Yeah, he would. Yeah, he would because we're a passionate people. And in case you didn't know, the passion of the Christ looked like torture, but it wasn't a passion of flesh. It wasn't a temporal passion, it was an eternal one that affected multiple generations forever and ever and ever because of what he did. Does your life affect generations beyond yourself because of the fires you're willing to go into? This is not a popular message. You understand that, right? But it's the true gospel. I like you can get saved, but do you want to be effective for his kingdom? You know what's reading crazy? The the fire, the fire didn't touch their hair, it didn't touch their eyebrows, it didn't touch they didn't even smell like smoke. Interestingly enough, that which bound them was burned away. Can I prophesy to you today and say some of you are bound by things that will only be removed by the fire you enter into? Amen. You'll come out unsinged, not even smelling like smoke, but that which bound you will be will be decimated in the fire. Okay. Good. I just want to Good job, John. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I want to talk about three things real briefly. May I have a tissue, please? When Jesus comes for his church, he's not coming for a weak, backslidden church. He's not coming for a church afraid, hiding in the corner, scared of any trouble. He is coming for a church that is full of glory, bold and strong, and that is walking in the world, making it subject to the things of God. There are some things in your home that need to be made subject to the things of God. You need to get an understanding of what God has done for you. And you need to make the things in your home that don't belong subject to the things of God. It is not welcome there. It is not welcome to rule in your life. It is not welcome to have dominion over your life. You should have dominion over it. It is amazing the things that we are in bondage to that we were called to have dominion over. Come on now. We got to get an understanding in all thy ways. Get an understanding about who you are and whose you are and what you've been called to do. And those that don't get an understanding will. (laughs) Get out. Anyway, they will live under things they should not live under. Are you with me? All right. Number one, there are three things I want to share with you this morning. Number one, you will never understand God if you do not first understand that God is a many-generational God. The Bible says God is a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is not the God of one generation. His purpose abides. His plan abides. His destiny abides. His promises abide. It lasts Forever. So if you're going to understand how God operates, you have to understand that God will continue to move from generation to generation. And our plan, our walk, our decisions need to support that. Number two, God wants us to understand that from one generation to another generation, there has to be a consistent level of anointing. Come on. You cannot raise up one generation and then let the next generation start where you started. This is how we do it in church. This is how we do it in life. This is how we do it in our workplace. Because I paid my dues and you're going to pay yours too. That's not how the kingdom functions. Track with me now. You're not going to. This, like, I'm a big pay your due kind of guy. Like, but I'm learning. I'm learning. And I think God is trying to help us understand something. The way that I got my anointing was through the fire. I'm not saying we're all going to escape the fire. There's a lot of fire I went through to get my anointing. How many of you have ever been in the press and been an olive and squeezed out, right? Like, like the press has squeezed out some anointing. You didn't, you didn't even have to. You know, you didn't even have to pray a certain way, worship a certain way, thank him a certain way, just the press of life just squeezed out some anointing accidentally. And and you were anointed. And and we have people in the church that walk in anointing, walk in God's favor in their life. And 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 we're 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 raising up a generation, and we're making them start where we started. But we're never advancing in the kingdom. We're never our anointing isn't growing. It's the same anointing at the same level. It is always the same. It is not a multigenerational anointing that is improved upon. It's not a trust fund that's built on. Are you with me? Built on. That was bad. since the structure there. It's not an. It is. It is. We, go back. It's, reg- it's regressive and it's repressive. And, and we've got to get to a place where we pass something on to our children. You've got to leave something for them that is more than when you started so that they can pick up where you left off. What's happened in the church is that many generations start at one, one level and they get just so high and they expect the next generation to start where they started. So no one ever goes higher than the last generation. So what we have got to do is get to a level of anointing and then get the next generation and let them pick up where we left off so they can go higher than we went. The problem is we don't want them to go higher than we went a lot of times. We should always desire that the next generation is better than us. If we leave them what we're supposed to leave them, they will always do better than us. They will always do more than us. They will always perform better than us because we left them something. Now they can... Are you with me today? we got to change the way we think they got to go further than we went. That means you got to develop a vision that is greater than you. Something that is greater than you could ever believe for on your own. You may only be believing for P. Hill, but God once has a vision for all of Kansas City and for the whole world. You alone may not be able to touch the whole world. But if you think generationally, you just might. I had, okay. Okay, let's talk about anointing, shall we? We should be raising up children not to have a desire. Okay, we shouldn't be forcing children to come to church. No, let me rephrase that. If they're in my house, they're coming to church. All right, let, me, let me rephrase that because I've got to remember the culture I'm thinking about. Well, if you want to. No, you're coming. But when they come to church, they better see something that's worth being there. They better experience something that's worth coming for. Otherwise, you're forcing them to come to something that's dead. Who wants to stand around and worship something that's dead? Kids don't. As a matter of fact, if you're bringing them to church, it better be real. It can be weird, but it better be real. All the young people up in here, right? Amen? Like, it best be real. It best be real, at least for me. That's what young people just staring at me like I'm a crazy person. But I, I think it should be real and authentic. And we should be, listen, We should be raising up spiritual sons and daughters that their faith is better than our faith. And their belief is greater than our belief. I heard this story the other day from a friend of mine. I loved it so much, I wish it was my story. It was good. They were having this church service. And and this young lady left her wheelchair outside, family carried her in. And I don't know the no exact reason for all that. I don't know if they didn't have a ramp built yet. I didn't ask a lot of questions because it's the end of the story that mesmerized me. And while they were inside, somebody came and stole the wheelchair. Who <laughs> steals a wheelchair? Right? And so the church gathered its money, gathered its money, and they bought her a wheelchair. That's what the church should do. Amen? And so the the pastor brings the family down and they have the wheelchair and they they bring the young lady down and they carry her and they put her in the wheelchair and she cried and they prayed over the family and they gift her with that because all of her needs should be met. I mean, we should just be taken care of. Listen, if you're in this church, you should just, you should, people, we're here to help take care of you. That's what we're here for. You have small groups that love you. Share your heart with your small groups, they'll take care of you. That's what we're here for. We're family. And if there's a need, we should, we, should, we should come together and try to figure out how to meet that need. That's important. So the church did this. There was this 12-year-old boy in the back of the sanctuary. Right? I don't know if he was playing on his phone. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I don't know what he was doing. But he looks over at his dad, and he says, why did they buy her a wheelchair? I thought we came to a church that believed that God still heals people. Why would we not give her the gift of health and healing instead of paying for her to stay in a condition that God doesn't want her to be in? (laughs) It's just easier to buy the wheelchair. (laughs) I mean, amen? Like, listen to me now. Listen to me now. This, This happened in a church. They don't believe in healing. They believe in it. Somewhere overseas. But they don't believe in it here in the States. I'm telling you the truth about this. The dad said, well, what are you going to do about it? Because we got to raise men up to not live on our faith, not stand in our prayers, not stand in us standing in the front and the forefront of the battle lines. But we, we will push them on to run to the front of the battle lines themselves. It's time that the younger generation with greater belief and greater faith begin to run towards the front lines and show us how to do it. Stop talking about what should be done and rise up, young generation, and begin to do that thing that has been instilled into your heart. Here this father had raised this kid to a level of belief, and he goes, what are you going to do about it? The kid walks down to the front and says, I think it's wonderful the church gave this to you, but God wants to give you healing. He touched her and said, be healed in Jesus' name. The girl stood up and began walking around in a church that did not believe in the healing. Did you know that you can raise up children to this level and they will surpass you? You don't, have to be, you don't have to be upset that you didn't believe for that healing. Be thankful that you raised them to the level you could. And you gave that to them so that they could take it beyond where you could be. Are you with me? But we got to begin pouring into this generation. Some of us, whether we're fathers or not fathers, we need to raise up some spiritual children who know who God is. And the only way they're going to know who God is is if two things. One, you tell them about it in your house. And you may not like this, you make sure they come to church. They need to begin to see the fellowship work together. They need to begin to see godly men and women work through conflict together. Oh, man, that's hard. Nothing like two Christian people in conflict. Because let me tell you why it exacerbates it when you're two believers. It's because you think, well, the other person should know better. But, but you're always the other person too. Yeah. Amen. I'm learning that conflict is never a reason to, like if I get in conflict with my wife, I don't think she's scared that I'm going to leave her the next day. I think the way we operate with our wife, our husband, our family is the way we should operate with our church family. But sometimes our passions are temporal and not eternal. And so we will, we, will, we will discard of a relationship because it doesn't make me feel comfortable. Come on, I've learned this. I'm not saying I always do this right. I'm saying I'm learning. Amen? All right. Did I say number two? We raise them up to a greater level. Number Number three, the process of joining generations. This right here, man. And the process of joining generations will be a tremendous threat against the devil's kingdom. That God wants to take the last generation, join it to this generation, and let this generation leave something for the next generation. That right there scares the devil to death. It's very easy when we are moving in the fresh fire of God to look down on people in the previous moves. you got to be careful about that. We need to learn from the previous moves' wisdom. You may... Listen. Younger generation, you're going to look back at the generation before you and you're going to be like, they just didn't get it. Listen. You have what you have, young generation, because of the generation that preceded you. And because they handed you something that's greater than themselves. We should never dishonor the previous generation. The preceding generation. Previous. previous, No, that's right. Previous generation. They both work. Yeah. You must learn from the past generation if you're going to go further than they went. The Bible says that the glory of the latter house, track with me, the glory of the latter, this is scripture, the glory of the latter house is greater than that of the former house. That's God's plan. (laughs) You're like, dang it, I thought I was going to leave my mark and it was going to be all about me bringing the glory. I mean, this is God's desire. we got to leave something for them. That means that there is a greater glory coming. There is a greater anointing coming. There is more power coming. And you, are you bold enough to leave for the next generation a greater anointing? I want to believe for a greater anointing. When I say that the kingdom of God is forever, the kingdom of God is His rule, His authority, and His dominion. These things are forever. His kingship will endure. You cannot mess it up. The moment you submit to Jesus Christ as King and Lord, it is more than an issue of sin. When someone becomes your Lord, they determine what you will do, where you will go, what you will eat, who you will marry, where you will live, how much money you will have. Your life is determined by the ones you make Lord. When you say he is Lord, it is more than just dancing and singing and shouting in the aisles. You must love him in total submission. Total submission. When the Bible says he will give you the desires of your heart, that does not mean you will get what you want. You'll get everything you want. That means God will give you what to desire In the world, you may desire money, but in the kingdom, you desire relationship with the king. And when you have a relationship with the king, he gets you the money because he wants you to be taken care of. He's a good king. He's a good father. So I I want to submit to his lordship. God's kingdom is forever. There's nothing that can stop God's. Will for me because I'm in his kingdom and his kingdom is forever. Who can stand before God? Who can stop God? Who can put God in jail? Nobody. His kingdom reigns forever. My destiny and purpose cannot be hindered by anybody but me. I am the only one who can hinder what God wants for me. How I approach God will affect my destiny. If I come to receive and not to give, I will miss God's plan for my life. And we have a lot of people coming hands out to receive something but unwilling to put their hand to the plow. When I come to God, my prayer is not to give me. He is not Santa Claus. He is not the Easter Bunny. He is not here to give me all these gifts. This is the kingdom. What God gives me is to benefit others. If he can get it through me, he'll get it to me. Many of us don't have much because he can't get much through you. I'm just telling you right now, you don't like it, but I'm telling you, it is a, it is a key. It is a key. Like, 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 we're just not even talking about money right now. You, you understand that? Some of us don't have peace because we don't give peace. How do you do that? <laughs> How do you give peace? Peace I bestow upon you. Ooh, you know what I mean? How do you do that? How do you give peace? I'll tell you what. When my wife, I'm a weirdo, I can, like, feel when her anxiety level rises. Anybody in the house understand what I'm talking about? I can feel it. It's like a Coke bottle being shaken up. You know that if you just do anything, you just, you know, I just could tell. And she's really sweet, but when she gets there, she'll never be mean, but, she, ah, you know, and she just goes crazy. I can just feel it. I can feel it in the early stages. I can it, shake a rattle and roll. rolling. Here's how you give peace. I know in that moment not to ignore her, not to avoid her. I used to do that thinking, I'm going to get away before it blows. You know what I mean? Like, like I would just go away. But now if I just put my arm around her and I just rub her back a little bit, not, not like in the same spot over and over because that really annoys her. <laughs> like, Like ladies are so quickly overstimulated. Am I right? Right? Okay. I don't know if it's so you got kids tugging on you, and, and then your man comes home and tugs on you. You understand what I'm saying? And, and so but if I were, like, holding her hand, don't go, like, do that. Like, rub a hole in her finger, you know? Like, like that, that doesn't bring peace. You shouldn't shout, like, Amanda that. That's weird. Um, but I know, I know. But you, you, what? I, I, I need to engage her. I need to put my arm around her and just love her. You can feel it go down. My hand. Come on now. You mean, it's not like, it's not like fire, earth, peace, you know, it's not like that. It's not like that. It's like, just, just love on your wife. It's not some like hocus pocus, you know, like voodoo stuff. It's just, you have peace, just touching someone transmits peace. You wouldn't believe, you know, it's dangerous. You know, prayer time is a dangerous time. Because we have people with the heart to want to give, but they suck more than they give. You got to be careful with laying on hands. Try with me now. Because we're trying to bestow peace sometimes, and sometimes you'll have the person in the back laying hands on, taking all the peace from the person you're trying to bestow peace on. Are you with me today? Sometimes we receive and sometimes we give. But if you're constantly in a receiving spirit, you can never impart. And we need some kingdom people who will impart, who will be imparters of the kingdom and not just receivers of the kingdom. We do live in a very, uh, what is it, a consumerism society. Much of church is built and established and functions on what can I consume. That's why you'll hear phrases with people leaving church and they'll say, I wasn't fed. They're saying, I didn't consume. But God is trying to shift this. Now, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not saying it's bad. But I am saying it shows our heart. And God is saying, I'm trying to shift you from what you consume to what you feed. As a babe in Christ, I do consume. Come on now. I, don't look at, I didn't look at Landon when he was a baby and be like, you stupid idiot, can't feed yourself. Grow up. That was harsh, wasn't it? I didn't do that. That would be harsh. Because he's a child and he needed to be fed. He would be like, feed me more, more. That's sign language for more, I think. I don't know. We did something like this. I don't know. I don't care. Just do something. Just don't cry. Just to ask for something. And and listen, I didn't get mad at him. There's a there is a time and a season for everything under the heavens. But at some point, like if we sat down today and he'd be like, feed me. I'd be like, feed yourself. You're bigger than me. Feed yourself. Like it's no longer cool for me to feed him. It's just it's not. It's just not. I love you. Love you, Landon, but it's not gonna happen. Not gonna happen. Why? Because there comes a point where you feed yourself. That's why it shifts from I didn't get fed at church. You don't have to say that no more because you feed yourself, right? We yeah yeah but bring food yeah it's a potluck now you bring food anyway so all right all right we need to get an understanding and I'm I'm gonna finish we need to get understanding we do not fight for victory we're fighting in victory. If we understood we're not fighting for victory, but we're fighting in victory, we would handle finances different. If we understood we didn't fight for victory, but in victory, we would minister different. Okay. What am I going to do? Because I got a bunch of pages. I'm trying to figure out where to end this thing. Just give me a second here. Just give me a second. I'm going to figure out what to say to close this. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this and I'm going to end. In the beginning, Adam and Eve ate from a tree they shouldn't have. They fell into sin. Jesus began to deal out punishments. I've said this before, but I want to remind you because I think this was wrapped up in our passions. There's a passion of the flesh and there's the passion of the Christ, which is the Holy Spirit. Which do you live according to? And they ate from the tree and God came down and He said, He began to pass out punishments. And the punishment I want to talk about is the punishment He gave to Satan. He said, you will crawl on your belly and you will eat from the dust of the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens of the earth and He took the dust. And from the dust, He breathed life into the dust and made Adam and Eve. We were made from the dust. And the enemy's punishment was to eat from the dust. Hello, dust. Do you know whenever you live according to the flesh, the dust, you give Satan a legal right to devour you? Much of our churches are built on the passions of the flesh. How does it make me feel? How does that worship make me feel? How does that sermon make me feel? How do the people there, how do they make me feel? If you live according to flesh, you're giving a legal right for the enemy to devour you right inside the church. (laughs) This isn't the sanctuary. This is the sanctuary. Track with me now. You're like... Once I walk through the front doors of the church, the devil. A pastor friend of mine said, people bring the devil into church every Sunday. I'd like to think he can't come in here, but the reality is some of us get permission. And he's eating on your flesh as you walk through the doors. Because you have made your flesh Lord and not Christ your Lord. But those who live according to Christ... And are led by Him, you. The enemy no longer has a legal right to devour you, because you don't live according to flesh. You live according to Christ, which is in you. He is your passion. <laughs> and if Christ is your passion, you think beyond yourself. You think beyond the temporal. You think beyond the 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 the. the the fleshly part of you you think kingdom minded you think multi-generational you think beyond your calling and beyond your destiny you think about the destiny of your children and your children's children and your children's children's children are you with me? my grandmother this is my final story and I really am done I really am done my grandmother lived in Woodbury, Tennessee <laughs> Woodbury says it all and it was a small town and she had a little farmhouse she lived in Woodbury, Tennessee, and she would sit in her house. They say sometimes eight hours a day, and she would rock in a rocking chair, and she would pray, not just for her grandchildren, but for her grandchildren's grandchildren and her grandchildren's grandchildren's grandchildren. I was wondering the other day because she's passed a while ago. I want, she would actually pray that if there were any child that would be born into the gray family, That would not receive Christ, that God would kill them in the wound. Not in the wound, but in the womb. Because it would be better for them to die before the age of accountability in a womb than to know that there is a God and refuse to reject Him. That's a that's a crazy prayer. That's a radical prayer. That's why many people in my family are believers. And those that aren't soon will be. Because they're still alive. A question I asked myself this week as I was preparing this is I wonder what generations she stopped praying for. <laughs> Could it have been my kids? And who's who's sitting and praying for the generation she's she's dead. How many generations it's been a lot of generations since then. Who's going to pick up the torch and pray for my sons? Am I as compelled to pray for generations beyond myself as my grandmother was? Because sometimes, sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, the hope of the generations to come is birthed out of your faithfulness to believe that God wants to do something beyond yours.